Welcome to the podcast from Eden Worship Center. Because we believe that it is God's word that does God's work in God's people, we want you to hear the gospel preached in the gathering of believers. We want you to read it for yourself and to join us as we think together and talk together about the sermon from this past week and what's going on in our world. You can join the conversation by sending in your comments and questions to EdenWC at Hotmail.com. May God cause His Word to come alive in your heart today. Well, hey everybody, welcome to the Midweek Podcast. Pastor Matt here. Pastor Harold, glad you're joining us. It's going to be a good morning. That is optimistic. Hey, there's, by faith. There's no guarantees on these things. This hey, listen, could be like the worst podcast ever. But listen, when you reach my age <laughs> and you wake up in the morning, it's a good day. You're like, it's right? fine. It's, it's fine. I'm still alive. My father-in-law always <laughs> says, somebody's like, how are you doing? He's like, well, I'm on the right side of the grass. There you go. So I guess. I tell people if I'd be any better, I'd be a twin. And that would be frightening for everybody. <laughs> Goodness. You and Mike Drake. <laughs> Well, I have to sport my T-shirt yeah, that I got. Yeah. Dad, grandpa, great-grandpa, and I just keep getting better. What can I say? Somebody awesome must have got that yeah, for you. They must have. Thank you to you and your wife. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, right. it just speaks of the burden that I have to bear. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a joy. You know what? The joy of the Lord is our strength, and there is so much in our world that is just depressing and disheartening, and it's good to be able to laugh and just enjoy one another, enjoy walking with the Lord. Uh, and, you know, I, I've been thinking this week of the joy that's in us, even in the hard places. I, I often think of Paul and Silas at midnight in that prison, and it was nothing like prisons that we think about today. They'd been beaten within an inch of their life. They're in the stocks, and... My imagination just says, I can hear Paul say, hey, Silas, let's praise the Lord a while. Mm. And in the midst of the suffering, uh, the Bible says they praised God so that everybody in the prison heard it. It wasn't a quiet little prayer meeting. And uh, God moved powerfully through that. And I think about that a lot. If we would just get over feeling sorry for ourselves and keep our eyes on the Lord and celebrate him, celebrate his faithfulness. What kind of monumental things might we see God do yeah. in the midst of our circumstance? Well, and it's not its not the old, like, I'm going to choose to praise God, as if praising God is some worship experience that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to choose to be happy in Jesus, as if you know we can just sort of cajole our emotions into being in the right place. It, it is a honest reflection of where I am, what I'm going through, and a preaching of the gospel to myself, that even in the midst of this, God is sovereign, God is in control, I can't see it, like I'm stuck in prison, there's Mm -hmm. only darkness and pain, but God is using this for his glory and my good and the sake of his great name in the earth, and as, as we do that, as they did that, preaching the gospel to themselves, reminding themselves of God's sovereign power in their lives and over their lives, that gives us something where he becomes praiseworthy. Exactly. Rather than, you know, I'm going through a hard time, I'm just going to smile and praise Jesus. Well, that's stupid, (laughs) if you ask me. Like, I just remember people saying that back in the day, and uh, then they would be the ones who would end up more depressed than anybody else. Because eventually that plastic smile wears off. But when you remember... 
the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, not just goodness in the moments where, where it feels good, but the fact that God is still good, God is still sovereign when it doesn't feel good. Exactly. That's where we start, again, preaching the gospel to ourselves. And that begins to lift us out of that place of despair into hope in God. As you were talking about that, I was reminded of what uh, the scripture says, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what I find coming out of my mouth yeah. in those times, whether it's good, whether it's difficult, is really a reflection of what's in my heart. Yeah. And if my heart is filled with the goodness of God, if I'm walking with him, which is kind of a nice segue into Noah that we're going to talk about this morning, because we know from the scriptures it says that Noah walked with God. And I, I like what the Amplified Translation says there is that he walked habitually with God. This wasn't just a Sunday morning type of thing, or actually they didn't have synagogues yet. I was going to say Friday. Um, but it was a habitual walking in relationship. Well, out of this habitual walking in relationship, wow, all this worship, the sacrifice comes, and who he is in the midst of the flood, in the midst of the storm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned, so two things. Uh, number one, I'm glad you mentioned the Noah thing, because we're going to see it from what we looked at in Scripture last week. Mm -hmm. We're going to see it next week as uh, Noah gets off the ark, uh, and out of the overflow of God's abundance, provision, and blessing, uh, he sacrifices. The other thing is you mentioned on Sunday the Amplified Bible, and I thought we should just we should just talk about that for a second, because I'm not sure people are familiar with the Amplified uh, Bible. Yeah. What are its strengths and weaknesses? So, I don't know. What What do you like about the Amplified Bible? Okay, without Before being, we get to the cautions. Okay, without being corny, I like that it amplifies it. <laughs> it, it you know, to amplify, to make bigger, to enlarge, um, and without, hopefully, violating Scripture... Um, in terms of giving greater meaning to the ordinary English words that we would yeah. read. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with it, the Amplified will take a verse. Um, and <laughs> I was just, I was glancing at my Bible right now. It made me laugh because I thought I'm just going to randomly read a verse and then just Amplify give a for instance, like, okay, because it picks a word or a couple words in the sentence that, that are kind of key or important. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it gives you sort of a, a spectrum of definitions on it. Well, I looked at my Bible and uh, it was Genesis 4:29. Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son. I'm like, yeah. Okay. I'm, How much do you want to amplify that? I'm not doing it. I'm Listen, not, this is a PG broadcast. I know. I know. Okay. So I, we don't I stop myself though. Aren't you proud of me? I am proud of you. There's moments. So uh, one of the helpful things is, it, so to take it, that as a good, for instance, we don't use the word uh, new like they did mm -hmm, in that's that true. verse. Uh, so we would understand that as a husband and wife in some sort of uh, sexual union coming together that it would mm -hmm. produce a child. Uh, so uh, the Amplified might take a word and then go, uh, and here's two or three different things, different meanings. One of the dangers with the Amplified is uh, just like in the English language, uh, the word... Well, just sticking with the word new, new, yeah, uh, which can have that meaning, obviously, because it's in our English Bible here. Uh, but depending on the context it's used, uh, the way it's used, what what are the grammatical things that are going on, 
it can't mean, and this is the weakness of the Amplified, it can't mean all those things at one time. No. That's actually only one of them, not all of them. That's true. And, and to follow up with that, bring that into the New Testament, just in terms of uh, marital intimacy, sexually, you know, it's... We've just kind of locked onto that, haven't we? We have This is what this podcast is going to be about from here on out. (laughs) Send the kids into a different room. There you go. It's (laughs) on. Well, you, you look at the scriptures where it talks about Joseph, and it says, and he knew not his wife until she had conceived, brought forth her firstborn yeah. son, and he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. Yeah. So, um, so had, good, good example. If you take that in that one, we're not saying that he didn't know who his wife was. No, he didn't recognize. So, if it said he didn't, he knew not his wife to recognize, uh, to you know, be able to put a, a face to the name or, you know, well, things like that. Where I was going to go with this is the same word that's used there is used where Jesus said, well, many will come unto me in that day, say, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name? Have I not cast out demons? Yeah. Have I not tithed? Tithing's not in there. I just amplified that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's not, that's not amplified. That's adding to scripture. Oh, oh, look out for lightning bolts. Yeah, I think but, there's okay. a prohibition against but that. Here's the point that I was going to make. Jesus said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. Yeah. And it's the same Greek word that is used to speak of Joseph in his relationship with Mary. Yeah. Uh, so before... Jesus wasn't saying that there's some sort of a sexual thing. No. Which is, okay, so we've really gone down this road, uh, but... Anyways, we're going to talk about Noah. It can't mean all those things no, at can't. one time. So it's good to have the Amplified Bible, uh, but if that's the only one you have, put it aside. Go get a real translation, uh, a good word-for-word translation. Yep. The ESV, the New American Standard, uh, the New King Christian James. Standard, New yep. King James. If you want, maybe maybe put that's that two or three down. Archaic language. Yeah, get get past that a little bit. There's some there's some good translations that are out there. Well, and uh, use use the amplified as a supplemental, which is exactly what you did on Sunday. Yeah, and what I try to do, just uh, sermon prep secret, uh, and it's not a secret. As I try to read the passage from several different translations, yep. because I realize that after years of preaching, uh, you get into a routine and a pattern, and you don't realize that you're locked into something. Right. And by looking at a different passage, suddenly things begin to come alive in a whole new way. So I think it's good for us periodically to read from another good translation. That being said, I like to read the message once in a while too. Message is not a translation, but it it helps to just break us out of that rut for lack of a better term. It's the coloring page version of it where it helps you see it in a different perspective, a a different color. Great graphic image, coloring page. I'm impressed. But you dare not take the coloring page as your Bible. That's true. So if you're just using the message, and I know people who have, and if it's the only one that you have, throw it in a drawer and go get a real translation (laughs) and don't get it back out until you've read the actual translation. There you go. All right. Speaking of actual translation, (laughs) let's get to Noah here. Uh, Genesis eight. Yeah. And we did, we did all of Genesis eight. And then the first couple verses of Genesis nine, uh, Lord willing, this coming week, we're going to do a few more verses yeah, of Genesis verse 9. Six. And then the week after that, I think we're going to get a running start and do all of Genesis 9. So there we're going to hit we Genesis go. 9 a few times here. Which is good. 
But Genesis 8, the flood begins to subside. So Mm -hmm. Noah, his family, there's eight people who have survived this worldwide flood, are uh, preserved on this ark, and the waters start to go down. So talk to us just a little bit, and I don't really have a whole lot of agenda here. I've got a couple questions, but uh, talk to us about some of the things that really, I mean, you've been preaching a long time. Uh, maybe things that jumped out at you this time around that this time around, was surprising to you. Yeah, I, I was intrigued again by the way the chapter opens where it says that God remembered Noah. And it wasn't so much that he, he hadn't forgotten Noah, because yeah. God doesn't forget stuff. Uh but to remember, and I went and looked up some of those words, and it was just fascinating to me because what was used here means to, to it's the verb means to remember fondly as if one of our own. Yeah. Okay, so this is a poor example, but I'm thinking today as we record this podcast, it's the third wedding anniversary of Asher and Shanna, our grandson and his wife, who were married three years ago. And I'm thinking with fond memories of that wedding day and the services, they became man and wife. And what a cool thing that was. Yeah. So God and looks I, at us. I and, don't remember if you said this or if I got it from someplace else. Well, if it was good, I probably said We'll it. just get, I'm going to credit you. Here we go. This is all okay. you. Uh, remembered, paid special attention and care towards that which belongs to him. Uh, I did say that. See? I thought maybe you did. Loving personal care for that which belongs to God. Yeah. See, right in my notes. Which is, it, that's a really good, helpful understanding of that right off the bat because we, we tend to attribute these human characteristics, whether it's strengths or weaknesses mm-hmm. to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, God has no memory issues. Like that's he, right. He lives outside of time mm-hmm. in eternity and therefore e- eternity past present and future is all one to him. It's his eternal now. Right. So it wasn't like God stuck Noah in an ark. And then like when someone puts cookies in the oven and I, I guarantee universally, everybody has done this. It, you're fine on the first one. <laughs> the you're, first tray. You're fine yeah. on the second tray that you put in the last one. I don't care how many you do the last one. No, you forget it. And then yeah. become charcoal briquettes. Burnt and offerings is what burnt we call offerings them. Unto because the we're Lord. doing a spiritual podcast today. So. <laughs> so God didn't do that to Noah. He didn't stick him in the ark and be like, oh no, I left him in too long. Well, one of the things that has helped me is, you know, the scripture says that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years is, and a thousand years is as a day. Um, and part of what that's illustrating, I believe, is that God dwells outside of time. Time is a human unit of measure. We have our past, we're living in our present, and we have what we hope will be our future. So we're part of that time continuum, but God dwells outside of time. So what is my past and what I hope will be my future is all part of his eternal now. He sees it all. Yeah. So that's helped me, and it, it may not be the best analogy, but for some of us, it, it helps to yeah. <laughs> put it in that perspective. So God doesn't forget Noah, but as he's remembering him with fondness because Noah walked with God. Noah was blameless in his time. It's special attention to that which belongs it is to him. special attention to that which belongs to God. That really jumped out at me. I was intrigued too. I haven't figured this out, but you know, the water's receding. Noah recognizes this. He sends out the raven, which is a scavenger. 
So it isn't going to mind landing and feeding off that, landing on and feeding off of that, which is slimy and disgusting. Yeah. Because after all, it's a raven. Uh, but the dove, that's a different story. Doves would typically have their habitat in the valley. The thing that intrigued me that I never saw before is that the scripture says that when mm-hmm. the dove comes back, Noah took her into the ark. Yeah. Okay, I'm... Here we go back on sexual things. I'm not smart enough to know what's a male dove and what's a female <laughs> dove. I just, <laughs> I just thought, okay. And I, and I started the sermon by saying, you know, there's this tendency that we want to attach great spiritual significance to every detail. And I have to resist the temptation here because I can't figure out why. Maybe female doves were more intuitive than male doves. I don't yeah. know. but um, Well, so one of the things that I've thought when we see those type of details in Scripture, and it, hey, I'm not saying this is the end of the story. There's probably a lot more to it. But those are the type of details that you only end up with if it's a true story. That's good. That's true. That's right. You know, it's like uh, in the Gospel of Mark where he talks about uh, Jesus telling the people to sit down on the green grass. Mm, You mm -hmm. only end up with those details. It it was a female dove that came back in Mm -hmm. if it's an actual true story. If If it's mythology, if it's just, you know something that that Moses made up uh, you don't get that sort of offhanded comment oh and by the way it was a she yeah uh, let me just put in a little shameless plug right here if you've not been down to the ark encounter we'd really encourage you to you go you can go release your own dove that's what you do there oh my stars <laughs> well what i you was don't saying, you don't but that would next time i go i'm taking a dove i'm like hiding it and then i'm going to get on top and be like be free yes <laughs> And then, you know, you could take a recording of your mother and I as we're singing very country song, On the Wings of a Snow White Dove. It's all coming together. (laughs) Well, what I was going to say before I was so rudely interrupted. I do what I can. (laughs) You do what you can. Matt lives in Chipshawana. And what is really cool is that there were several Amish men from Chipshawana who oversaw the the heavy timber construction of the yeah. Ark Encounter. Yeah. So that's kind of a great little connection for us. But but go there. It's a depiction of what they believe it was like. It's, you know, it's not the Bible. It's built to scale, it's, at, at least. It's yes. built to scale. And it is fascinating to go. Yeah. So, But you're right. I love what you said here about these details are just an indication that it is absolutely true. Yeah, because if it was just a story or a myth, you wouldn't be finding those kinds of statements in there. I thought it was interesting too, as I was preparing. I found this 1949 photograph of Mount Ararat. Yeah, that a U.S. spy plane had taken a picture of. And what intrigued me is they they didn't release this. It was taken in 1949, but it's not released to the public until 1995. So the conspiracy theorist in me wonders what else is out there that they're not telling us. But then we're not. Are we making this kind of podcast? Is that what's happened here? (laughs) But it's a true story. Uh, and uh, Yeah, whether or not the picture is true, well, yeah. the story is true. The, yeah, and w- we don't know. We just know that, that God is at work. And uh, Well, so here's an interesting thing about that picture. 
because uh, I put very little stock in those type of things. Really? Uh, I'm a giant skeptic. You should know this. Uh, anyways, the, uh, the thing that strikes me is that the whole world is really, really interested in that sort of stuff. They are. They're really interested in what is this uh, ark, Noah's ark, uh, because there, there's this worldwide sort of flood mythology that's uh, every culture has their mm -hmm. different version of it. Uh, and somewhere underneath, they're like, I think this is based on a true story, which I believe we have the true story yeah. in the scripture. Uh, and anything to do with end times, prophecy, revelation. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man. Those two yeah. things really go hand in hand, and our world is fascinated by it. And it, I, I think those are, are interesting cultural touch points where it, it just becomes an opportunity to go, okay, I don't know if that's it. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, yeah. there's the truth of God saving those who are his own and God bringing judgment on a wicked world that rejects him. Exactly. You better be on the right side of that. Yeah, and I, it's going to be very interesting to me to see how God uses all of this as the story continues to unfold because I do think the story of Noah's Ark is going to continue to unfold. The, the whole thing of what they've done in northern Kentucky with the Ark Encounter, Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, people are coming from all over the world to have, yeah. what is it called, Ark Encounter. Yeah. And um, so you're right, the fascination of this, because there is something, Scripture says God's placed eternity in the heart of man. There is something inside of even the most skeptical that there is something here. Yeah. And so this, this narrative is just absolutely profound to me. And... What was overwhelming to me, and I'll touch more on this Sunday, is that when the water subside, Noah takes part of the roof off. He's able to see the ground is dry. They spent the equivalent of one solar year in the ark. Yep. But Noah is not about to go out of the ark until God says go. Now, inquiring minds think about crazy things. Okay, so we know when they went into the ark, God shut the door. Right, God right. sealed it. So did God unseal the door? Was there... I don't know. Right. But, but the point is, whether was it an audible voice Noah heard or what? But somehow, God clearly communicated with Noah, and he understood it. Now's the time to go out of the ark. Yeah. Chapter 8, verse 15, then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives. Uh, bring every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Well, what I thought about is, as you know, your mother and I fly a lot, and we've flown around the world, and it always intrigues me. People are stampeding to get on the plane, and then they are stampeding to get off. And imagine, I mean, you've just maybe had, now if, you, if you're flying to Asia, you got a 12-hour flight to Tokyo. So, yeah, you're ready to get off of that plane. Right. Imagine you've spent a year on the ark, and Noah still isn't in a hurry to get off. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how interesting, because I think of people lining up and pushing and getting upset if people aren't moving and getting off the plane fast enough. Yeah. But he's waiting on God to speak. It's really interesting to think about what did it mean that God closed them in? Yeah. Like that God closed the door. Uh, was this something where they had the ability to then open this door? Uh, you know, and 
we want to be careful with spiritual analogies uh, exactly and those type of things but uh, you know how many people god puts them in a certain situation within his own providence and sovereignty and then they're beating down the door taking apart walls to try and get out mm-hmm. as soon as mm-hmm. it doesn't look mm-hmm. like this whole thing's going the way they thought it would um you know i'll destroy my own house so that i can be free and be the captain of my own soul and it just whatever this looks like and we're not we're not giving any more details on this god had closed them in god was the one who said when they should leave and they were faithful they obeyed yeah so i think if we don't go a whole lot past that uh, that keeps us in a place of faithfulness where we say okay god you're sovereign in my life uh, i want to uh, move according to your timetable and not mm-hmm. mine. Make me faithful and obedient to you and your word. Uh, that's it, just that's a safe way to pray all the oh, way around. Oh, absolutely. God, let me know your timing yeah. and uh, not move ahead of you or behind you. Um, that That's the challenge, not to, not to do that. Uh, I think the thing that is really important that we focus on is the very first thing Noah does when he gets outside the ark. Um, you know, I had a, I shared something Sunday after some of the long plane rides we've had and some of the trips, uh, to halfway around the world. When you get back into the United States or your home country, you'd like to get down and kiss the ground. You're just glad to be home. You were, you were glad to be able to go there and, and, uh, be a blessing and be with God's people in other parts of the world. But there's something about being home and, you know, I'm thinking they've spent a year in the ark, they didn't kiss the ground when they got out. Yeah, Noah didn't say, "Hey, boys, uh, okay, let's scavenge around here. We got to find a place to live." His first act was to worship God, and uh, at least the first act we're told of. Well, that's true. Which I, I thought that on Sunday, uh, it is entirely possible that the first thing they did was find shelter. Although they didn't need it, they had the ark. Could have. Just gone back in inside and slept in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's entirely possible. Anybody who's ever been on a road trip before knows they were looking for a bathroom. You know, <laughs> <laughs> maybe someplace well, to they get had coffee. Fa- <laughs> coffee. They had facilities in the ark, but that's <laughs> probably true. But in the biblical narrative that we are given, oh, help us, Lord! I know, I know. <laughs> it happened. Uh, what we're told by means of importance, which I, yes, I, I think that yes. that's an important thing to come back, which is the reason to mention it, is we're not necessarily given a chronology in here, although at times it is chronological. Mm-hmm. So it's not an order of events, A, B, C, and D. Uh, what we're given is importance here. So what they did with the house, we don't know. We're not told. Uh, what else they did when, when we got off, what order they did it, we don't know. We do know that the very most important thing that they did when they got off the ark, and it's relatively soon thereafter because it says then Noah built an altar. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say immediately then no. or you know whatever, but the most important thing was God uh, bringing Noah and his family through the flood and then them stopping to recognize and worship the God who had saved and preserved them mm-hmm. and provided for them. Yeah. So in the in the context, it would seem that once... Noah and his family had left the ark and they got the animals out. That's when he built the altar. The thing that... Uh, what were the animals thinking? Ah, oh, we're finally getting off the ark. Oh, Noah wants a few of us to come over there. I wonder what he, what, what he wants. We should have kept going. Now, you know what's interesting is uh, we're going to see in chapter 9 that when God 
pronounces this blessing, one of the things he said is from now on, this is the Gingrich translation, by the way, animals are going to be afraid of you and they're going to run from you. Yeah. Because so, now you can eat them. Well, yeah, that was a first too, glorious first. Uh, but what I hadn't really caught in all of these years is that Noah takes one of every clean animal and one of every clean bird and offers it to the Lord. Or at least it, it, verse 20 says some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird. Yes. So not necessarily one. No, that's true. Some. So maybe he took a pair so that the one wouldn't be left lonely. <laughs> that's, dark. that's dark. That's dark. That is dark. Those poor but animal. He, but the, the thing that, that just jumped out of me at this was God had told him, take two pair, uh, seven pairs of every clean animal, yeah. seven pairs of every clean bird. So you just do the math. At a minimum, he offered seven animals. Well... So there weren't, there there weren't just seven clean animals. No, there were seven pairs. Right. But that not like seven clean ones and everything else was unclean. So you you have all the unclean animals and you get two by two of those, which most, most time we think about uh, Noah's Ark, it's two by two. Mm -hmm. Well, then there could have been 40 species that were clean animals. So that's not just seven, but of those 40 species that are clean animals, We bring seven pairs of them. So you have uh, okay. seven pairs I of sheep. I see where you're going. And seven pairs of, you know, what, whatever. I was going to say goats, but probably sheep and goats came from the same ancestor. Uh, you know, Because then, they, are, they are of a type. Right, reproduced after their kind. After their kind. So what, we, we're not given the exact number there, but whatever the clean animals were, he took some of each kind. So of... You know, this yeah. kind and that kind and that kind. And well, without getting derailed too far on this, the thing that just overwhelmed me was the number of animals that most likely were sacrificed. Yeah. And I'm guessing it's way more than seven. Yeah. And that's a lot of work with what they had to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, just this glorious barbecue. Yeah. Well, it, and it then reminded I wonder if me, they ate some of the sacrifice too. I would. I wonder if that if it began there. I don't know. It, it reminded me on Sunday because I was thinking about that and thought, well, we'll, we'll talk about that on, on Sunday <laughs> uh, or, or in the podcast. Uh, when Solomon dedicates the temple, you know, God has, has uh, brought his people into mm-hmm. this land that he mm-hmm. has promised. And now he has given them uh, what's described as a house for my name, the, mm-hmm. this glorious temple that was the center of all worship of God's people yes. in that time. And then Solomon just goes nuts, like a thousand bulls are sacrificed. Well, what wasn't it? Something like, I, and I can't remember the, the exact number right now, but it was like every three paces or every five paces. Oh, yeah, as David is, is bringing in the ark. And because the first time Uzziah is struck down, they did it wrong. Yeah. And so the next time, every few paces as there, they're There's a sacrifice in, being made. And yeah. it's like, oh my. But great parallel to this. It is. Like, in light of God's great blessing and mercy and provision and protection, uh, man, every few steps I stop and remember his goodness. Every few yeah. steps I'm, I'm reminded of his kindness towards us. And I, and I believe that in the context of what we're talking about here with Noah, that his sacrifice is in response to God's great salvation. And I read somewhere, and then it was one of those things I read, and I thought, oh, I wish I had thought of that. Isn't it great when you read it, and then you forget to write down who it came from, and you're like, yeah, like I You know, I somebody say. said, and uh, 
then after that, it's like I always say. That's right. <laughs> uh, but such a great salvation requires, demands a great sacrifice yeah. on my, my, my part, <laughs> this appropriate response. And I, and I felt myself challenged again and again. God's great gift of salvation. What is the appropriate act of worship that I bring, not just in a moment, but in a life? Yeah. And that's where I tried to tie in Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2, where Paul says we are to present ourselves a living sacrifice. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that I'm going to die on an altar as a martyr. In some respects, that's relatively easy because you die and go to heaven. Uh, but to be that living sacrifice that's living every day with my life on the altar, not to gain favor with God. Mm -hmm. and, and this is another thing that impressed me, was that Noah's sacrifice was not an attempt to get anything from God. It was in response to God's great salvation. He wasn't trying to get favor of God because he already had that, because we know what is from chapter 6, that Noah found grace, or the word is also translated favor, in the sight of God. Yeah. He already had that. Yeah. So what he's doing in, in this act of worship is in response to who God is, God's great salvation yeah. and his provision. I, I was just overwhelmed with that. And yeah. Here again, the, the richness of, of God's word is you, you go to passages of scripture that you've read again and again and again, and how many times have I read it in a lifetime, and yet each time there's something new, there's something fresh that God has that he just wants to yeah. bring alive in our hearts. Yeah. I, well, and I was thinking when you were saying that, it just reminded me of the uh, verse from the hymn that the church has sung for at least 100 years. I don't know how old it is. Um, where it says, you know, we're the whole realm of nature, it, all of creation, everything in this world, was it mine mm -hmm. to sacrifice and give back to God? That would be a sacrifice far too small. Yeah. Love, love so, so amazing. amazing, so divine, demands my life, my all. Yeah, I, I did the same thing. I was working it in my head and I'm like, I can't get the, the last line right without <laughs> singing it. <laughs> You come by that naturally. What can I say? I mean, that that is exactly the image here. It, it's love so amazing, so divine, demands the sacrifice. As Noah gets off the ark, uh, it's, yeah. it's nothing that he's doing to uh, be righteous, to be right with God, to earn anything. It's, God, you have been abundantly good to me, my family, it, looking at the rest of the world that's just exactly. been wiped away. Exactly. It, you know, it's been a year that they've lived with this knowledge. Everybody else on the planet is dead. Mm -hmm. Man, what does it feel like to come off and go, holy cow, God, you've been so good to our family. Yeah. And I, and I thought in the preparation of this, both for Sunday and this coming Sunday, of how casual I become in my worship to God. Uh and how casually I approach him, creator God of the universe, yeah. who in his grace and mercy chose to extend salvation to me, to my family. Um, and he, your mother and I pray so often in the mornings, and we're, we're just giving thanks to God for our family and how God has blessed our family and how he continues to bless our family, how he uses our family. You know, I, I rejoice that. Wait, and that's, that's the story for 
every family who's listening exactly. to this. Exactly. This isn't just about our family. No, no. But my point is that, that we so often become so busy. One, we become casual as yeah. we come and approach worship, especially on a Sunday morning. But, you know, every day is a, is a day of worship to the Lord. But we become so busy, we don't take the time to stop and to think about God's grace, God's salvation, what he's done for our families, you know, that shame on us. Yeah. You know? Um, well, not just shame, despair, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety on us. That, yeah. That's what happens. When we exactly. fail to do that, uh, the pressures of this world will overwhelm us. I mean, imagine, so put, put yourself in Noah's shoes, in Noah's head, getting off this ark. Everybody else on the planet's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, the earth is rebounding from this great flood. So vegetation is starting to sprout up and you look at this menagerie zoo of animals that's getting off behind you. And then you're just overwhelmed. We got to build a house. Uh, we got to figure out what we're going to do with some of these animals, how we're going to stay alive. We, mm-hmm. we, uh, we didn't have last year to put away crops uh, to eat this winter that's what are true. we going to do? Like, how, how am I going to manage that? Oh my gosh. And it, listening to this right now, you're going like, well, come on. Who would think God just preserved them on the ark? Of course he's going to provide for them. Of course he's yeah. going to take care of, show special attention to that, which is his own. Mm-hmm. Only we don't think like that with our lives. We, we go, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? How is this going to work? And then we fret and anxiety and depression and it doesn't mean everything's going to go smooth for us, but we are actively forgetting, not, not just forgetting, we're actively forgetting that God is sovereignly in control of every aspect of our lives and our family, and he's going to be using that for his good and our, His glory and our good. You know, as you said that, I, I was thinking too, I mean, what an amazing thing that Noah is acknowledging God's goodness, not just in salvation, but in his provision for the future, because our natural tendency might be, well, let's hold on to some of these animals because we don't know. We may need to eat them. How are we going to survive? And yet, I think there's a sense, without pushing this to an extreme where the analogy breaks down, but there is a sense in which we could say, Noah is acknowledging the provision of God, not only in salvation, but God's ongoing provision in their lives, because... It had to be both lonely, frightening, and exhilarating all at the same time as you look at this a brand new world. And Arthur W. Pink called this the second beginning yeah. in Genesis. And you know, I, I thought a lot about this in preparation. What were the emotions that were going through Noah's mind as he realized he will now be the father of humanity? Yeah. That's amazing. But the core is that uh, God blessed him. You know, he offers this. And I thought it was interesting. The analogy in the scripture is that it was, now God doesn't have a body, but verse 21 of chapter 8 says that the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. Yeah, I was glad you mentioned that on Sunday. Uh, and when I looked that up, it was it was a sense in which it was... Uh, a sense of satisfaction, mm-hmm. which I thought was very interesting that commentators were talking about. Um, and again, 
Here, here was a principle. We use this as a fill in the blank. The sacrifice of a righteous man offered in faith is pleasing to God. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a sense of, yeah, this is good. You know what I loved about that when you said it on Sunday uh, is there's no conditions to it. No. There's no like, and therefore, it, we want to get the timing right, but you have to pray and make sure you're exactly in the quote-unquote will of God, the timing of God. And I, I just remember as a kid being all tied up in knots in like, man, what if I get this wrong? What, what if what if I quote-unquote miss God in this? Mm-hmm. And the reality is uh, of a righteous person, and he's only righteous because God has made him righteous. It's true in the New Testament. It's true in it's the true. Old Testament. Uh, that sacrifice, that place of recognizing that every good and perfect gift has been given to us from God, it's his provision. It's his protection. Yes. Therefore, we ascribe worth. That's worship. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what that word actually means. Uh, and we bow ourselves before him. We sacrifice before him, whether it is our lives or, you know, anything else. And it's always pleasing to God. It's always acceptable to God. Because he looks right through that veil of our broken, fallen humanity and in the Old Testament, they were they were sacrificing, looking forward to Christ. Uh, we now we don't quote unquote sacrifice because Christ has fulfilled that. He is the perfect sacrifice. That's uh, true. Which is that's a big difference between uh, say a Protestant church and a Catholic church, where they will go and offer the sacrifice every week. And in the Protestant church, we don't have an altar because the sacrifice is done and over once with and for all. Once for all, mm-hmm. it's accomplished. Mm-hmm. So. But what we do is, who is it said, let us bring the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to God. Yep. Um, And that's right back to where we talked of what was Noah's heart getting off, like, God, you've been so good to us. Yeah, yeah. And here again, you know, I I just am convicted at how, how casual we are. Yeah. When I was a kid growing up at Maple Grove, the the boys sat up on the right side in the front three branches. There was this guy sat right behind us. His name was Goldie Nagy. I'll never forget. <laughs> it was all my life. He was the original monotone. And I would hear him, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved. And it's like, I'm thinking as a teenager, why bother? But there was one service where there was a testimony meeting, and which didn't happen very often back in those days. So when it did, you remembered stuff. But I remember him standing up and saying, some people wonder why I even try to sing, because I can't carry a tune, but the Bible says make a joyful noise, and I'm doing my best. (laughs) And I thought, what great theology. And then how often... When we sing in corporate worship together, do people just stand there yeah. and do nothing? And and I don't mean that to be judgmental, maybe a little bit, but you know, there's something in my heart that says, when I understand this great gift of salvation, who he is, what he's done, what he's continuing to do, there's something that should arise out of my heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Even or sings. If, or sings, even yep. if it's monotone. Yep. Yeah. So, okay, I feel better. I've vented a little bit <laughs> Which now. It, I, I think that's, it's a good reminder. We need to come back to that from time to time because we're not looking for an expression of 
what singing and responding to God in worship looks like. I, I, I always want to be yeah. careful to add in. Exactly. This is not our worship time. It's our singing time. Yes. Our life is our worship is time. Is our worship. That's, it, Hebrew, that's Rebel, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Yeah. Yeah. That's so the whole thing. If, if that's the case, well, uh, there's going to be a variety of expressions. Mm-hmm. So you may have people... To use the phrase you use, standing there doing nothing. You may have people standing there, and yet their hearts are overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, yep. and yep. in fact, maybe they're coming from a really difficult place, and literally all they can do is stand there. Well, and and that's a good. But that's not doing nothing. No, that's a good reminder and a little bit of a rebuke of of me, and I think of most of us because we judge people's worship or lack thereof by what we see them doing. But it goes back to what God said to the prophet. Um, you know, you look on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart. Yeah. And I need to be careful on a Sunday morning, really careful, not to become judgmental because I don't have the ability to see within the heart and the mind of that individual. And well, and so maybe a rebuke to the congregation as well, uh, Christians in general. Yeah. As you, you know, the worship leader says, all right, let's stand together. And you're like, all right, I'm standing. It's fine. <laughs> I'll just go along with everybody's. Do- I'm not singing, but I'm sitting and on the God's, inside. Yeah. And God's looking at your heart and he goes, that's actually wicked. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're in the congregation you're, where, where the saints have congregated together to sing and declare and contemplate, uh, marvel over the greatness of God, this great salvation, and your heart is unmoved or moved by the wrong things. Like you're thinking about lunch, you're ticked off at what mm-hmm. somebody said to you in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Or didn't say to you. Or didn't say in the hallway. Yeah, like, they just walked by me and didn't you better even say good morning. of that, that heart posture yeah. uh, because it's God who judges the heart, and he's, he's looking. We'd better come with... Uh, awe and reverence before the throne of God. Now we come boldly before the throne of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Mm -hmm. casual doesn't have anything to do with how we dress in coming before God, uh, what our worship style looks like and sounds like, but our hearts had better be postured low before the sovereign King of the universe. Yeah. And maybe it's a a good way just to kind of think of wrapping this up. Oh no, we're going another two hours. Oh, okay. Glory to God. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The uh, the word there in chapter 9, verse 1, where God blessed Noah and his sons and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Yeah. Um, fruitful. That God wants our lives to be fruitful, to be productive, mm-hmm. and then to multiply, to reproduce. So I resisted the temptation, I may not on Sunday, but I resisted the temptation today to say that God's favorite kind of math is multiplication, not <laughs> subtraction but or division. But, <laughs> but there's a twofold thing there that I think we just, we just jump over really quickly to be fruitful. God, I want my life to be fruitful. Yeah. And I want it to bear fruit. Uh, you know, as a living sacrifice, I want that fruit to be the fruit of the Spirit, mm-hmm. love, joy, peace, gentleness, and those kinds of things. Let your presence in my life uh, produce that kind of fruit. And well, that, that we're going to see that in the New Testament, that uh, this is the will of God for you, that you bear much fruit. Yes, yeah. And then to multiply, 
to see that duplicated. Yeah. In the um, lives of others. In the lives of other people. You know, it's just, you know, it was a great thing. Uh, I was so encouraged of a young man who's just graduated from high school. He's going to be moving to another uh, area and who comes, who wants you to find him a church. No, oh, yeah. And I, I've thought about that so much in the last couple of days. That's multiplication. Mm-hmm. There's something that's being multiplied in him that says, I want something that's going to be not just like home, but it's going to have that same value because there's something been multiplied. There's fruit that has come, but now there's a multiplication factor that says, I want to be a part of that yeah. and see that multiply and spread. Uh, wow, there, there is so much related to all of that, but it's, yeah. it's really good. So maybe just an interesting thought. Uh, and this could be opening up a can of worms, so let's not go too far down the road. Uh, but the be fruitful and multiply is uh, one of the things that you hear discussed, especially in reform circles when it comes to family and family size, that, mm-hmm. that the imperative is that we be fruitful and multiply. Take Therefore, God literally there. Have as many children as we possibly can. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having as many children as you possibly can. Like that's mm-hmm. uh, a God honoring thing to do. Uh, but when you look in the scripture at the times when we are told to be fruitful and multiply, and it this is uh, would benefit from a bit more studying out here. Mm-hmm. Um, the three that come to mind is God places Adam and Eve in a brand new world and says to them, be fruitful, be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. Uh, God actually says to the animals, be fruitful, fruitful and, multiply. and multiply. Uh, God wipes out the whole earth, mm-hmm. and as Noah and his family get off, we have a repeat of the um, Genesis 1 and 2 command, mm-hmm. be fruitful and multiply. So fill the earth again. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, God gives the promised land to his people, he tells them to go and multiply in the land, mm-hmm. uh, to fill the land. Now, again, take something where we're not there, fill it and subdue it. Mm-hmm. And I think it may miss the mark a little bit, and I, I could be all wrong. So if somebody wants to listen and look it up and comment, that would be fantastic. Let's have a discussion on this. But I think we might be pointing in the wrong direction when we take that to just mean have as many babies as possible. Uh, I think with 7 billion people on the earth, we may have multiplied. Like <laughs> we have, we, now I'm not saying the earth is full, I'm not one of those. Uh, tree hugger people who's yeah. like, and hey, we got too many babies. We need to get rid of some of this. Uh, that's awful and not God honoring. So, well, it, I think you're you're headed in a, a very good and interesting direction, and I think the the challenge becomes not just with our kids, but within your sphere of influence. How are you multiplying yourself? Yeah. How are you multiplying the gospel? Yeah, that's actually exactly where I was going. That and I, I think that's that's the challenge. Even with our kids, because think about kids. big families or, or even small families where they fail to multiply their faith to their children. Exactly. They, they fail to pass it on to the next generation. And then we just fill it up with all kinds of other things. Uh, other things in this world that give them identity and purpose and meaning and accomplishment as mm-hmm. if those are the main things that define us rather than the gospel, yeah. rather than this act of worship that, w- that we see uh, as the number one priority in Noah's life, in his son's lives. And 
Are we passing on to this next generation well, the recognition yeah. of God's And I goodness? think of the Apostle Paul, where on two occasions he says, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah. So as people look at my life, is that something that's being multiplied into theirs that they see? Here is uh, an example of faith and faithfulness and godliness, and I want to see that multiplied in me. Yeah. Uh, multiplying the gospel, the gospel message. How many people... Uh, never share the gospel with anybody in their life. Yeah. Uh, and I hear people say, well, I, I do it by how I live my life. Well, yes, that's true. But there's also a dimension of where we share with words yeah. from our mouth. Uh, but oh, the, the overriding thing is, how am, how is God working in me and through me to multiply the gospel? Yeah. And that becomes a challenge. Praise God for kids. Yeah. Grandkids. Yeah. Right where we started there. And like, great grandkids. That family is, that is the primary place where we start planting those seeds. Yes. And because we have, we have the closest, the most connection, unless something catastrophic happens, like, like it, don't like it. You're still family. Like mm -hmm. you're not getting away from me. That's you're true. <laughs> you're stuck with me. Uh, but as we share the gospel with you know, coworkers and neighbors and, you know, that whole joining Jesus on his mission. Uh, part of that is not just going through the, the ritual of evangelism, but inviting people into this call of worship. Well, and here again, uh, it, it's the abundance of the heart. Uh, in the past, we have made evangelism an obligation rather than a joyous, natural overflow mm -hmm. from our lives. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. It, he basically uh, pins that as the reason for all evangelism, that we're inviting people close to us, people far from us on the other end of the world into this joyful worship and recognition of the worship of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, that becomes our motivation rather than some drudgery of, oh, I've got I've to do, do this. this. I've got to check this off the list yeah. that I talked to X number of people about Jesus today. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and just look at where our world's been, uh, the last couple years. So I, I'll just pick one cause it tends to be hot button on either side. Mm -hmm. So look at COVID and COVID vaccines. If, oh, yeah. if you're one of those who like COVID vaccines are the answer, it's what's going to save us. You became an evangelist. You wanted other people to share in the joy and you, you're not only an evangelist, you're an apologist. You're, you're making the argument, making the uh, case. You become a bit of a pundit where you're, you're willing to fight with anybody on the other side who disagrees. Then you have the people who are like, I think vaccines are not the answer. I think, uh, it either doesn't medically fix it or it's uh, some sort of government imposition. And what did you do? You became an evangelist and you started telling everybody the good news that there is freedom in, you know, whatever. Uh, we do that, except exactly. we've missed that when it comes to the good news of Christ, that we're inviting people uh, not just to have their sins forgiven, that's good, mm -hmm. but to come before a holy God and rightly worship. Yeah. As we do that, we put our trust in him, we put our trust in Christ, and we find that he has saved us by his grace. Well, and here again, I, I'm thinking back of Noah who walked with God. I'm thinking of that great song that I think came out in um, 1906 or 1908 where you know, the songwriter says, And he walks with me and he talks with me. 
And he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there, none others ever known. You know, this joy of intimacy with God. And that becomes the wellspring of worship from our hearts to a God who gives to us such a great salvation. And I, and I would just say to us that I believe one of the great things that we need to do is, is say, God, in your mercy and your grace, just open the eyes of my heart to see not only you, to, but to see myself and, and what's here within my own heart. What are my attitudes? What are my motivations? Mm-hmm. Uh, God, how can I, as Paul says, be a living sacrifice yeah. to you? Good. All right. Well, hey, thanks for uh, checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to it so that you get it every week. Uh, Hopefully, Lord willing, we will see you this coming Lord's Day on Sunday. Adult Sunday School is at 9 and worship service is at 10 a.m. So until then, God bless. We will see you then. Have a blessed